invite you to open back to the book of, where are we studying? Nehemiah, you remembered, and we will be there for a few weeks. And so if you would find Nehemiah, if you're missing it, it can be hard to find. Uh, go to the book of Psalms and go back just a couple books, uh, and you'll find Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, and Psalms. If you received a bulletin today, inside the bulletin are some sermon notes, a little sheet for you to follow along with a few points and scripture verses there noted. If you like scripture notes or sermon notes, please keep those and use those. I will do my very best to provide those every Sunday uh, for this series in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book about the rebuilding of a wall. He, we in Kentucky know some things about building walls. Uh, one of my favorite drives in Kentucky is to head from Danville out through Lancaster, or in northern part of Nelson County, you'll see these stone walls that have dated from the time of the Civil War. They're these beautiful rock walls with these little slate diagonal pieces that have been restored and kept in perfect shape. It's always been something that made me proud of being in my old Kentucky home. Those walls that designated a property line or designated a, uh, a boundary of someone's farm. Last summer, or actually last fall, I had the opportunity to go over to Paraville during the reenactment of the battle. Anybody done the battle reenactment in Paraville? It's a really, really interesting experience. I had never done one. Uh, we were out, and you see these soldiers in uniform coming from different areas, and they use the walls as a place to find shelter, a place to find support, a place to find uh, defense. And those walls still in place in the parable battle back in the 1800s can be seen today. There's something about walls, fortified walls, that bring us security. Well, Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is about the building project for walls. It's about a group of people, of God's people, who come together for God's purpose to fortify the city. But it has a beginning not in the city where the walls are laying in ruin. As you might remember from last Sunday, the opening chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 1, takes place in the land of Persia hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. And it centers around a man named Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer to the king. He is in the court, he is in the palace, but he's not in his homeland. Nehemiah begins saying that a report has come back from Jerusalem, back from Judah, about the walls laying in ruin, that the city gates are destroyed, that the homeland that he has always dreamt about and thought about where his fathers and grandfathers are buried lays in ruin. And this bad report leads him to a broken heart. We ended last Sunday in verse 11 of chapter 1 where Nehemiah is praying to God. He's praying about what God possibly will lead him to do and it leads us to know that a plan is being birthed. 
something in that time of prayer is welling up in his heart that he might have something to do with the restoration of his city, the restoration of those walls, the putting back together what has been destroyed. And he begins seeing God's plan in all of this. So we go to chapter 2. And chapter 2 opens a few months later. Chapter 1, verse 1, told us that in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, in the month of Chislev, there came a report. But chapter 2, verse 1, takes us a few months later, and we'll begin there, reading the first four verses. Watch what Nehemiah and the king of Persia discuss. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So pause there for a minute. Several months have passed. As a young Bible reader, you might read chapter 1, verse 1 in the month of Chislev, and chapter 2, verse 1 in the month of Nisan, and not think anything about it. I don't know, but I don't think any of you have a birthday in the month of Chislev. Do you? Do any of you have a birthday in November or December? Your birthday is in the month of Chislev in the Jewish calendar. Do any of you have a birthday in the month of March or early April? Your birthday is in the month of Nisan. Now, we don't talk about Chislev and Nisan. We talk about January, February, March, April, May, on and on. But several months have transpired in the life of Nehemiah. He gets the news in late fall, early winter. But the opportunity to speak to the king comes in late March, early April. But I want you to take notice, his mind hasn't drifted from the problem that he heard months ago. His heart hasn't drifted from the problem he heard in that report. His life has been thinking and his mind has been toiling over the report that came to him months ago. Something has happened in his life. Something has been brought to his attention that he can't really let go of. Now, I don't have any evidence of what he did specifically from Chislev to Nisan. But if I were going to imagine, I would think his mind drifted to the walls of Jerusalem time and time again. I would imagine, and I'm just... 
hypothesizing that maybe there were nights when he woke up in the middle of the night and he would have been dreaming about walls and about a city that he had never seen with his own eyes. I'm just imagining, I don't know this to be true, but maybe one afternoon he goes down to the great library in the capital of Susa and he sees if there are any books or any maps of King David's reign or King Solomon's reign. Uh, maybe he goes and he finds the scrolls that tell of the original plans of the original building. Maybe he just lets the, the information wash over him. I, I, I don't think they had napkins then. But if they did, there would be a dinner where his company would be talking about so-and-so and Nehemiah would start doodling a wall in a city in a structure, in a fortification. His mind had never left the issue. Friends, there are times when something is presented to you, a situation comes to your attention, a problem in our society, a problem in our community, a problem with the family, maybe even a problem that you have observed for years from afar, but for some reason, somehow, it just gets in your spirit and gets wedged in your heart and you can't let go of it. It pops up in your dreams. It pops up in your daydreams. It pops up on napkins. And you just find yourself laboring over this thing, whatever it may be. My encouragement to you is don't neglect those Months went by, and Nehemiah is still thinking about the report from Chislev. His face could not be hidden forever. The king notices something is wrong. Now, verse 1, part 2 says, Now I had not been sad in his presence. But the king says to Nehemiah, Why is your face so sad? I know you're not sick. So even though Nehemiah was trying to put on a good face or put up a stiff upper lip or look proper in the palace, the king could discern something's wrong with this boy. Something's going on with this man. While he was trying to hide it, he couldn't hide it forever. And the king nails it on the head. This is sadness of the heart. Friends, there are things in our lives when we know something is so wrong, so broken, so destroyed, that our conscience begins to nudge us to act, begins to nudge us to respond. And it's easy for us to just put it aside or, or think it'll go away. But if that returns and it shows up again and it shows up again and you're starting to notice it coming from every direction, listen to the nudging of God's Holy Spirit. It could be that this is His very appointed thing and His very appointed purpose for you to engage in a big problem that needs your gifts and your skills and your ability to help solve. Nehemiah could not hide his face forever. And we see that an opportunity is about to arise. What does he do? Verse 3, the Bible says when he's a feeling the impact of now his face is being seen by the king, 
He says to the king, let the king live forever. That's how you respond to a king who's asking you about your demeanor, who's asking about your expression. May the king live forever. That's how you acknowledge their position. But then he goes out in courage. Take notice. He says, why, verse 3, should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, watch the conversation. Then the king. This is the most powerful person on the face of the globe. The king of the Persian Empire says to his cupbearer, the guy who tastes his wine to make sure it's not poison before he drinks it himself, he says to Nehemiah, what are you requesting? What do you want? Now here's what I love. Nehemiah doesn't just blurt out, I want to go build. What does the scripture say he does before he says another word? He prays to the God of heaven. He began in prayer when the report came, and he's continuing in prayer when an opportunity arises. When opportunity arises, Nehemiah prays. He doesn't speak first. He doesn't blurt out first. He doesn't throw his request before the king first. He prays first. I don't know if it was a long prayer. I don't know if it was a short prayer. I don't know if it was a silent prayer. I don't know if he kind of whispered behind himself, God, help me now, help me. But there's a moment where the scripture acknowledges the king's request is on the table and Nehemiah steps back in some way and he begins to pray. Give me wisdom. Give me guidance. Give me peace. Give me the words to say. Give me the direction and give me favor with this king. My opportunity is arising and I am going to the true king, not the earthly king. Friends, when people come to you and ask you what you're requesting. What do you need? What do you want to do? What do you have in mind? What are you thinking about? I would encourage you, before you say a word, stop and pray. Stop and pray. Because people will rise up in your life at times and make opportunities available, but you don't want to let it for a minute go by that this opportunity is not arising by the hand of God. You see, while Artaxerxes may have been the king of the Persian Empire, he's not the king of the universe. While he may have been the most supreme commander of his armies, there is a supreme commander of a multitude of heavenly hosts. Amen? So we recognize when a door begins to open up for us through the life of a person, we recognize that it could very, very well be the creator of the universe moving mountains, moving structures, moving powers that he has command over to open up an opportunity for you to be, for you to be used by him. Artaxerxes is just saying what God told him to say. He's opening up an opportunity. Well, I love verse 5 and 6. It's what I call the opportunity to make the ask. Nehemiah now has the king's attention. Nehemiah now has the king's ear. He's prayed for his words to be right, wisdom to be right, 
for God to be glorified even in this moment. In verse 5, Nehemiah says, If it pleases the king, and your servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now, you may think this is just a passing request, but this is a big ask. He's asking the king of the Persian Empire to go back to his homeland to build up the walls of a city to make it fortified so that a people could rise up again and possibly give fight to the Persian Empire. If you think about the depth of this request, he's allowing his homeland to be a resurgent place, not destroyed and in rubble, but truly finding its strength yet again. He's making a pitch. He begins by asking if it pleases the king and if his life has been a good service to the king, that you would send me away. Send me to my father's homeland that I may put those walls back in place. It's a big ask. It's a big pitch. There's a show that my family loves to watch called Shark Tank. Any of you fans of the Shark Tank show? Okay, all right, very good. We, we love Shark Tank. It's uh, a group of entrepreneurs, investors, billionaires truly, who hear the pitches of aspiring business owners, startup leaders, people who have a product, people who have a passion, and they come before these entrepreneurs, billionaires, and they make a pitch. A pitch to find investment, a pitch to be helped in their business. I want you to see a pitch that I think is pretty good by a couple mothers who have an idea that could revolutionize the world. Check this pitch out from the Shark Tank. Sugar, so there's no sticky residue left on their skin. Instead, what they 
I was so impressed with this pitch, I actually bought some Neat Cheeks Whites this week. Got them on Tuesday and used them on my son's Tuesday nights. They're, they're, they're not babies, but my older son Isaac, he's up in the media booth, he thought he was supposed to open his mouth and lick the wipe. So I'm trying to wipe his face with this sweet towelette, and he's like, am I supposed to taste it? I'm like, no, close your mouth. What are you doing? Close your mouth. I wiped my face with them. They're sweet. They're very, very nice to the feel and to the touch. Do you know that a pack of neat cheeks, little towelettes, can be ordered on Amazon, free shipping. You get one pack for $8. Are any of you ready to buy some neat cheeks? Not so much. Maybe the pitch wasn't so good. This company has gone from nearly a garage to a warehouse of products that make families' lives easier. Now, why, why would I show you that? Well, these two moms had a pitch to make to investors. They had seen a problem, probably with their own children. They had fought the fight, probably in cleanup and they had developed a solution to bring easier life to families. And in doing so, they had to make a pitch. All of us, whether we're entrepreneurs or not, have things in our lives we have to ask for. Maybe you've had to ask for a promotion. Maybe you've had to ask someone to marry you. Maybe you've had to ask for... Uh, a raise. Uh, maybe you've had to ask to buy something that was way beyond your means and you had to ask someone for a loan or ask someone for help. Uh, maybe you had to ask your parents to move away. Maybe you had to ask your parents to move back in. <laughs> uh, maybe you had to ask someone to move out. Maybe you had to ask someone to come back. We all have things we have to ask for in our lives. Well, Nehemiah gives us a life principle in the midst of his ask. Now, this is not overtly spiritual, but there's a spiritual part in just a minute. But bear with me. Nehemiah's request of the king has three clear descriptions. It's simple, it's clear, and it's heartfelt. It's simple, it's clear, and it's heartfelt. It's simple. Send me to Judah. It's simple. It's simple to go home. He makes it clear, I'm going to rebuild this city. Clear as it could be. And it's heartfelt. It's heartfelt. He mentions the city of his father's grave. When you have any opportunity in your life to make an ask, whether that's for a job, a promotion, for a family matter, for an opportunity to go or an opportunity to return. Make it simple, make it clear, make it heartfelt. Those principles alone give the hearer more of a chance to respond positively. Look how the king responds to Nehemiah's request. Verse 6, And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So if it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. 
And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me, given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, he makes it clear, he makes it simple, he makes it heartfelt, but then he gets into the plan. I need letters to get through the traveling piece, and we'll see how valuable those are next week. And I need a letter to the guy who runs the the wood shop, who owns the lumber, who owns the timber, because I'm going to need to build some things. So he's getting his letters for travel, he's getting his letters for building, and it's all because the good hand of God was upon him. When you need to make an ask, Make it simple, make it clear, make it heartfelt, and have a plan in place. But let me close on this. It's one thing to ask a friend or a banker or a boss, but have you ever had to ask God for something? Ask God for something big. Have you ever had a reason to go before God and ask Him to intervene in your life in such a way that could only be deemed as miraculous. I think about Hannah, barren, desperately wanting a child. And she goes before the Lord and prays so fervently that people think she's drunk in the Spirit because her heart is being poured out before God. And what does she pray for? a baby, and God answers her prayer. I think about David who goes to God after the adultery with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. He pours his heart out to God to clean him up, to make his heart clean. He's asking for God to intervene in his life and reestablish him when everything lay in ruin. I think about in have been meditating on the request of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. You know that passage. Jesus is walking by, and this man who had been blind from birth is yelling, yelling, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd tell him to be quiet, to get out of the way. But he won't hear of it. The Bible says he yells all the more loudly. He cries out all the more clear until Jesus says, bring the man to me. And when he comes, he falls at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And Jesus calls him a man of faith. Your faith has healed you. And the Bible says he immediately regained his sight. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it's for a family for yourself that's struggling to be with child, and it's a prayer that only comes from the depths of your soul. Maybe you have been stuck in a pattern of sin. You have been locked in an addiction. You have been locked in some trap that you can't get out, and you've gone to God begging, make me right, make me new, make me whole, make me firm in you. You've prayed that prayer like David prayed. 
Maybe it's been blindness, a physical ailment, and it can be any number of ailments. And you've gone to God and you've said, Lord, I need your help. The encouragement that I give you today is just as Nehemiah went to the king with a request. All of you have the invitation of God the Father to come to him with the biggest of requests. Jesus said this in John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Listen, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, this is not a license or not an opportunity to get what you selfishly want. But if God is glorified and you come humbly recognizing He is the only King that can handle your request, the invitation is to come, to come, to come, and to ask in the name of the only begotten Son. You know, when we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not just a tag-on at the end of our prayers, the part that goes before amen. It's recognizing there is only one person we're coming to. And we're coming to the one who set this world into motion and who has power over all things. Do you need to make the ask? Are you afraid to make the ask? Have you felt embarrassed to make the ask? I say to you, your Father invites you to make the ask. Let's pray together. Lord, I know in a group this size, there are some needs, some heartfelt needs that you have pricked hearts about. And they haven't been willing to obey They've been hiding their face. I pray, God, that we would listen to your spirit. Listen to those nudges. Obey your call. For those that possibly have been afraid to ask you, God, for the deepest, most, most heart-longing thing, I pray, God, that they would be willing today to come to their Father in the fullness and boldness and courage of grace and come to you asking for your help. Not in a prideful, arrogant, self-serving way, but in a way that is truly humble and lowly and recognizing you control all things. God, I pray that there would be some who would obey and there would be some who would ask today. Lord, for those that maybe have not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is no ask, there is no ask any greater than asking for forgiveness from the Son of God and asking for the Holy Spirit to make you new and asking for God to save you. And so maybe even today there's one who needs to ask 
for the very first time to be made right before a holy God. Whatever the response needs to be today, I pray that we would follow appropriately. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.